EcoHealth, your internet radio. Good afternoon and welcome here on Radio EcoHealth. It is the road trip show here with Diedrich with the road trip app. And uh, Diedrich, how's it going? Ah, it's afternoon, afternoon, dear. No, it's good. Good, good. 20, 2022 is turning into what looks like it's going to be a good year. Tourism is definitely resurfacing. I've got the first couple of bookings in again. Guys are coming back. Airlines are starting to fly back to South Africa. So uh, it, look, it looks like we're getting back to, back to business. Back to normal, yeah. <laughs> and we're seeing it in the downloads of the app. We've tripled the number of downloads per week that are happening at the moment. Oh, that's cool. So that, that's, that's cool, kind of yeah. cool. So, yeah, that's the whole idea. We created the app and the radio show to highlight and bring some focus onto some of the more interesting bits of history and tourism spots in South Africa. So it seems to be working. We've now hit, I speak under correction, but I think we're now in 45 countries with, oh, our, that's awesome. with, 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 with our downloads. And that, of course, is the, exactly the idea of what, we, what we're trying to do. Yeah, and you brought your daughter with today. And my daughter came along today. Daughter <laughs> just finished matric and has decided to come and have a look what dad does on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> so we had a bit of a loose end while university decide that the universities are fighting to see what student goes where. So we don't yeah. quite have answers yet as to what universities are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, there we go. Let me just click on to our, our download on, on um, our, our podcast feed our rss feed on buzzsprout easy enough to find we are in 45 countries 45 45 different countries and some weird places as far apart as algeria slovakia morocco belarus oh. <laughs> uh, south korea even the koreans are listening to us yo okay Mexico, that's awesome and then of course the the big ones that count the biggest countries that are listening to us south africa obviously the biggest one then yeah. the u.s germany canada australia new zealand the uk and netherlands makes complete sense those countries are the biggest source of tourism for south africa so they hopefully are listening and hopefully downloading the app and yeah gonna come visit us (laughs) awesome (laughs) where are we traveling today well we're still on the n2 the n2 is proving to be a a long a long journey all the way from cape town up through to kzn we ended Last week in East London, we didn't quite manage to get through East London, and I'm hoping to be able to get all the way just south of Durban to Isipingo, because one of the main characters are Mr. Dick King. Remember old oh, Dick King yes. with his horse who rode all the way from Durban down to Grahamstown? He's buried in Isipingo, and I thought that might be a good, good sort of way to yeah. end today's story if we can make it from East London all the way into Durban or just south of Durban. We've covered Durban in one of our one of our previous episodes so we don't have to really go through yeah durban in too much detail but i thought you know it, we, we 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 covered a couple of the more obvious spots in in east london we did a little, spoke about the museum the celia camp that weird fish that was found yes found there right, the yeah. Delos memorial the german settler memorial i love that story about the german settlers yeah. sort of bringing that old german influence into that eastern cape area we did a bit about the 1820 <laughs> settlers and we didn't really get into much more in east london we ran out of time yeah. But there's two quite historical spots in East London that we need to look at. One is a place called Signal Hill. And I'm sorry to disappoint all the Cape Townians. You're not that unique. There's another Signal Hill in East London. You're not the only guys with a, with a Signal Hill. Yeah. <laughs> Cape, Townians get, Cape Townians get very possessive on their mountain. Eh? Yeah. They, they, yeah. Don't like, they, they, they don't like other people claiming the mountain. One of the jokes that I always pull on my buddies in Cape Town is that 
that you've got Table Mountain, but you stole it from the Karoo. When you go through the Karoo, you get all these little flat-topped hills everywhere. Yeah. And Table Mountain <laughs> is a flat-topped hill. I mean, look, it doesn't... And then always joke with them that the only reason you've got it is because you stole it from the Karoo, and that's why the Karoo's so flat, because you towed it over the Karoo and flattened everything to put the mountain in Cape Town. <laughs> they get very possessive about their mountain and Signal Hill. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Signal Hill is an interesting one because the guy there by the name of um, Lieutenant John Bailey first hoisted the British flag in November 1836. Okay. So Bailey is considered sort of the founder and the first guy in, in East London. And what always amazes me with these guys from, the, the, from those, the, the, that period is you, you're talking Victorian times. And, I mean, Britain is all over the world. And you look at this guy, he's, he's basically an unknown character, but you, reach, you, you read his CV. He's born in India, 1788. He's born in Madras in India. He okay. arrives in South Africa in 1820 as the, as, as the head of a group of the 1820 settlers. So Bailey was part of the 1820 settlers that arrived there in sort of the PE area with old yes. Rufin Duncan. Remember Duncan and the, and the little pyramid story? Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the pyramid story. <laughs> the pyramid story. He arrives there. He arrives there, 1834, his farm is burnt during one of those endless wars in that eastern frontiers. So he, he joins the British, British um, forces, he's promoted to captain in an infantry battalion. 1835, he gets sent out to the Buffalo River, he surveys the river. No surveying oh, yes, experience, yeah. he's told to survey the river. There he goes, 1836, he river. surveys the river. Okay. He then decides to um, raise the flag. And he does that because he's unloading a cargo of a, one of the first ships, a ship called the Neisner, of all weird names. Oh, okay. Come, comes into, into the harbor, into what now becomes East London. Just interesting enough, East London's the only harbor port in South Africa. The other one's all in lagoons and in, on the ocean. Oh, East okay. London's our only yeah. um, river port. So there he goes. He lays, he, he, he lays out some property for himself. All good. He gets himself a little farm. Um, he trades. He trades land with the local plaza, so he he, he gets some some land there. He builds a house. He plants fruit trees. He starts trading in tobacco and cotton. He okay. gets dysentery. He can't go to Cape Town because of the wars in the Eastern Free State on the Eastern Cape area, and he disappears into the central areas of South Africa. And he goes. He crosses all the way across to the Harip Orange River. Oh, okay. There he gets into some kind of trouble. He's accused of murder. He goes to jail. Oh, my uh, word. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he then appeals. He happens to know um, a guy by the name of Sir Harry Smith. Harry Smith is the governor oh, yes, of the Cape Colony. Yes. He knows him. He gets a permit, petition. He's freed from that whole lot. And then he comes back. And he, he always had this vision of East of London. He called the place London. Yeah. And eventually that transmogrified into East London. That's where the name East London comes from. Okay. And uh, he, he always thought it was going to become bigger than Port Elizabeth and what have you, but that never really happened. But uh, he, he, he was the driving force behind East London, always trying to get new people in. Yes. And eventually, I mean, he dies in 1852, and he dies in a little place called Port St. John's. He actually drowned oh. in a place called Port St. John's. But, I mean, what a, what a life story of adventure. And, I mean, you're born in India, yeah. you come to South Africa, 1820 settler, you're involved in wars, you're involved in fights, you crossing countries, all sorts of stuff. And, yeah. just, and he's just an ordinary guy who arrives in South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but South Africa is a whole mingle moose of uh, people, just like uh, America, basically. No, absolutely. We've got immigrants from all <coughs> over the place. 
One of the original memorials is actually on the southern bank of the Buffalo River, a place called the West Bank Memorial. And the West Bank is where the first properties um, were actually laid out in the town. Another quite interesting little memorial that's to be seen in, in East London, a place called the Multicultural Man. Oh, okay, that sounds and I've never quite got a, I've never quite got a handle on this one. It's an Italian artist by the name of Francesco Perilli. Okay. And it's a faceless man standing inside like a, an earth-like sphere. Oh, yeah. And the whole concept is it's a symbol for peace and for world unity. Yeah. It's made out of bronze. It's about a three-meter-high statue. It's a very, very masterful piece of work. And it's designed... And, I mean, how, how do you explain this? It's designed to represent no particular cultural, ethnic, or religious person. Okay. So you're designing specially for nothing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that, to me, makes it kind of interesting. But there's four more replicas of this exact same statue dotted around the world. So obviously the concept was oh. that all sorts of countries adopt this now as, as kind of a symbol of unity. And I mean, the other ones are in Toronto in Canada, Sarajevo in Bosnia-Herzegovina, Changun in China, and the city of Whittlesea in Melbourne, Australia. Goodness gracious. So there's some kind of unity <laughs> thing that, go, that goes on around there. There's another harbor memorial. There's, there's, two, there's actually two bridges over, over the river that give you very, very nice views of the harbor and of the river and stuff. So you can, you know, there's, that's quite pretty over there. There's the Princess Elizabeth Memorial. Because um, the, the work was started there at the dry dock in 1943, finished eventually in 1946, and was named after the then Princess Elizabeth. Elizabeth only came to the throne um, okay. in 1947. So when it was finished, it was the Prince, Princess Elizabeth. And Princess Elizabeth was actually visited, she actually visited South Africa in 1947. So I think 1947 or 1948. Yeah. Um, her father died, and she actually um, ascended to the throne. Okay. And to this day, was the last British queen of South Africa. She was actually our queen um, oh, up until okay. we became republic yeah. in 19, 1961. Now, there's, there's two kind of forgotten memorials in East London as well. Now, East London is one of those funny little towns. It's a sizable town, but yet you can't quite equate to a city. But yeah. it's the site of quite a large part of our automobile manufacturing industry. Port Elizabeth, Hewton, Hague is the main one, but East London also has um, some auto manufacturing <coughs> stuff. And well, I remember going yeah. through one of, those, one of those townships once, and it's got to be one of the most impoverished areas in South Africa. The, it's, yeah. the people there have got absolutely nothing. But there's two memorials there. One is the 1985 Duncan Village Massacre Memorial. Okay. It's a relatively new one. It was unveiled by President Thabo Mbeki in 2008. And it commemorates the UDF um, Leader, there was a, a, a United Democratic Front leader, Victoria Mkringe, who had been murdered, and during her funeral, some of the mourners started carrying out revenge arson attacks. Oh, and that 
turned into a riot that ran for a couple of days. And in those times, you know, community leaders and people who worked for the government were considered to be sort of sellouts and traitors. Oh, and yes. a lot of the community leader <laughs> houses have been targeted. Six of the houses were burnt down. Homes of police officers and suspected collaborators were burnt. So it was turned into a, into a heck of a thing. And eventually it turns out that 19 people um, died and 130-odd people were injured during, during those, yeah. those, those massacres. They call it the massacre because those victims were killed by the crowds. Yeah, yeah. And it's a bit of a strange one because the, the monument is actually crowned by a Klaza warrior in traditional dress. I'm not quite sure how the Klaza warrior in traditional dress fits into the anti-apartheid thing of a riot in a township. It's a very yeah. beautiful statue. Yes. But I haven't quite ever walked, worked out the significance of that one. But then there's another one in that, in that same township, also in Duncan Village. So Duncan Village obviously is a bit of a flare-up and, and a flashpoint in, in yeah. East London. But the, the Sister Aidan Quinlan Memorial. Now that okay. commemorates a Roman Catholic nun, Sister Aidan Quinlan, who was actually, actually a, a trained doctor. Okay. And she'd come out as a volunteer and was working in one of the hospitals there. And again, 1952, now we're talking 1952, and there had been some rioting in Kimberley, there'd been some rioting in um, Port Elizabeth, and the government at that stage, we're talking 1950s, so this is the early days of the anti-apartheid movement, the National Party government at that stage had... Um, proclaimed something called the Riotous Assemblies and Suppression of Communism Acts. And within that legislation, they could actually, literally, you would ban people. You could ban people, and you could suppress oh, yes. people, and you could yeah. quiet them. And when you ban people, you could actually remove them and send them into a little house somewhere, like a little better than house arrest somewhere. <laughs> and okay. they passed, they'd passed restrictions on 52 of the local leaders in, in the community there. So there's a bit of rioting about this. The ANC Youth League president, guy the name is Skay Gwenshe, was allowed to be there. But the police were monitoring the meeting, but somewhere along the line, again, whenever the police in one of these meetings seem to meet up, there's always some drama. It, yeah. it always goes yeah. wrong. We know it's going to go wrong. <coughs> and that eventually becomes a running battle between the police and the protesters. And, the protesters. Yeah. and unfortunately, Sister Quinlan, who was doing nothing but good at the local hospital, yeah. got attacked, was murdered, and burnt. Oh, right. So it's a slightly more one of the horrific stories. But to give you an idea, I mean, over 200 people died during those riots and stuff there. Sure. Yeah, that's quite a bit. And there's a memorial now to Sister Quinlan in um, in one of the lo in the local hospitals, and f eventually they they did they they did get the suspects five five who were convicted, and two of them were hanged for her for her murder. Yeah. So that's one of the slight probably one of the slightly more somber uh, memorials there in East yes. London. Outside the city hall, the city hall is a beautiful piece of work. It's a real old colonial, beautiful piece of colonial architecture. 
There's a statue up there to Archbishop Desmond Tutu, as well as a um, statue to Steve Biko. Oh, yes, Steve yes. Biko, the guy who, <coughs> who died in police custody in 1977. Yeah. So those two stand outside the, the city hall. There's a couple of war memorials. There's the Cenotaph, World War I. South African soldiers served in German Southwest Africa, German East Africa, Palestine, Western Front, Royal Navy, RAF. You know, the South Africans yes. somehow never, never, never seem to shy away from a good fight. <laughs> and just an interesting, <laughs> yeah. just an interesting um, statistic. 136,070 South African soldiers served in World War I with a total sure. of 21,492 casualties, wounded and killed. Sure. Wow. So that kind of puts into perspective the scope and size of the South Africans. Yeah. That 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 went across there, and it's a it's a nice it's actually a very very nice nice memorial. There's a a South African soldier in First World War battlefield uniform as the centerpiece on that one. There's the Cambridge War Memorial in honor of the fallen soldiers from the city of East London who served in the First World War. So there's a lot of First World War um, influence here Yeah, in that one. And especially this one especially commemorates the soldiers that fell at Delville Wood. Delville Wood being one of the iconic battles during World War I in which the South Africans were, were, in, were involved. And it was, it was one of our biggest, biggest um, losses, as it were. So that, that now more or less covers where we are on the N2 in, in East London. And what the N2 now does is the N2 sort of been following the coastline all the way through till, till you get to East London. But then the N2 actually bends away from the coast because you're now getting into that area called the Wild Coast and oh, what used to be yes, the homeland yeah. of the Transkei. <clears throat> yeah. And it was just an easier route to follow for the road because of the wildness of the wild coast you yes. know, you're looking at super rugged terrain mountains cliffs rivers that have got little ravines and gullies and stuff and it was going to be way too expensive to build the n2 next to the actual coastline yeah so the n2 now bends bends a bit inland and the first little town you get to is a little little place slightly slightly off the n2 little place called komcha Komcha. And guess who you got a statue to in Komcha? Who's our man on the horse? <laughs> Dick King. Dick King. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, the, the, we make a bit of a joke with that there's so many memorials to this guy, and we're going to hit yeah. another, another couple of them on our, on our journey into Durban. But um, it gives you an idea of the terrain this guy was covering. Yeah. And he did that's... this like in nine days or ten days all the way from Durban. Sure. But another little interesting interesting little little spot there just near Komcha is a place called the Battle of Drybosch. 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 And for military history students it's quite interesting because that's the, the, the site of where the first Victoria Cross was earned on South African soil. Oh okay. There's quite a few VCs that were won, especially during um, the Anglo Zulu War, etc. You know, so some of the, a lot of those colonial battles, Victoria Crosses were yes. awarded, but this is the spot, site of where the, f- the very, very first one um, was awarded, and that come that dates back to the 29th of December 1877, and it's again one of the frontier wars. So even this area just around East London 
was part of that whole yeah. frontier yeah. war war story. And that, that was awarded to a guy by the name of Major Hans, Hans Garrett Moore of the Connaught Rangers. And uh, they were attacked by the Clausas, and he won himself a Victoria Cross there. So that's that that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. Then we get to a little town called Butterworth. Now, where you've now gone through Komcha, you go over the Great, Great Kai Bridge, and now you're in what is called the old the old Transkai. Okay. So old homeland yes. Transkai area, and the Transkai is a long road. There's very little in the Transkai. Those homelands didn't really get developed very 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 much, but the scenery is absolutely breathtaking. And the N2 is one of those real cruise roads where yeah. it's, it's long, windy roads over the hills, through the mountains, lots of rivers and mountain passes. But the entire landscape is covered with little huts and little homesteads. And what always oh, yeah. strikes me in those homesteads is the, the colors of the, of the little rondalvas and houses that you see. There's pink ones and there's green ones and there's blue ones. Yeah. And, and yeah. I was always trying to work out... Why those particular colors? Until one day I stopped in one of the little towns and went to the local trading store just oh, to yeah. see how, how it worked there. And some clever entrepreneur has made powdered paint. Powdered paint. Powdered paint. So you, instead of now having to carry 25 or 50 liters of heavy paint with you, oh, yeah. you now buy a packet of powder. Yeah. And you now take the powder home, mix it up, and now you've got paint. <laughs> and those just happen to be the colors that these guys make. Okay. <laughs> I see. <laughs> so it's a very, 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 very picturesque country. There's, there's cattle and stuff and little homesteads everywhere. But there's actually very little development in, in, in the old Transkai. The first, the first town that you actually get to is a little place called Butterworth. And again, there's a war memorial in Butterworth. Because when these little towns were established in the late 1800s, early 1900s, this is British yeah. colonial territory. So... They were little administrative outposts to govern the far reaches of the colonies and things like that. That's, oh, that's where these yes. little towns came from. Okay. And again, Butterworth has got a war memorial, fallen soldiers from the town of Butterworth that served in both World Wars. So that's for World War I and World War II. And, I mean, South Africans just served all over the place. I mean, again, World yeah, War II, I mean, it seems like East African campaigns, Somalia, Ethiopia, <laughs> North Africa, Egypt, Li Italy, Libya, Madagascar. You know, South Africans served all over the place. Yeah. So, as well as, as, well as very, very distinguished service in the South African Air Force, as well as the Royal Air Force. But the interesting part of the, of the memorial there in Butterworth is that most of the names in that memorial are the names of the Khazar-speaking soldiers that served in what was called the Native Military Contingent. And oh, the Native Military okay, Contingent yes. were battalions raised for black persons or black men from South Africa who by law weren't allowed to carry arms. Yes. That's so they weren't allowed to serve on any kind of active duty, so they were called the Labor Contingent, basically. It was a Labor Contingent to help with the logistics and supplies, yes. trucks, drivers, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But they weren't really allowed in, in combat. There are one or two super stories of, of some of these guys who, who won military medals and military crosses and all sorts of stuff as well in yeah. their non-combat roles. But uh, one or two of them are commemorated, and we can get into them when we get to those little towns. And again, we have... A memorial to <laughs> Dick King. <laughs> Dick King. <laughs> he came through what is now Butterworth as well. But one of the interesting bits about that Dick King story 
I mean, we, again, we joke about it, but again, we've got one of these these giant <laughs> characters. Well, General Andres Pretorius. Andres Pretorius, oh, yes, leader yeah. of the foot track of the Battle of Blood River. Pretorius was actually the commander of the foot trackers at the Battle of Durban against the British as well. Oh, okay. Yes, so yeah. Dick King and Pretorius had a connection, and Pretorius actually tasked Dick King to go and get the get the. Uh, you know, Dick, Dick King was against Pretorius in the, in that battle. Oh yeah. So yeah. the two of them have a have a, have a connection <laughs> there. They did a bit of history. <laughs> so yeah, oh, sorry, they're not the battle. They're in the Battle of Congella. It's called the Battle of Congella. Oh yeah. So out of Butterworth, you're now getting into the Transkei, and the only real next little town of any kind of import, and I, I don't know if I'm going to get the get the get the click right is a is a town called Onu Onu Q U N U and that's got a Nelson Mandela museum oh and it's okay. highly unexpected it's a little dusty town of 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 nothing yeah but it's an it's a little extra piece of the of the of the main Nelson Mandela museum in Mtata and exhibits of his life were there with a focus on his childhood because that's where Nelson Mandela actually started with his primary school. Oh, he received okay. his grade one education, and his teacher, uh, Miss Mdingani, actually gave him the name Nelson. Oh, okay. So, in a little stone church there as well, when, where Mandela was baptized. A couple of the gifts he's seen in there, and in the homes and family graves can also be visited um, if, you, if you go there. So, that's, that, that's kind of that's cool. Yeah. Um, then, then the only then the, then the next town you hit to hit is actually Umtata. Now, Umtata was the capital of the then homeland Transkei, Transkei yes, being yeah. the first of those territories that decided to take the South African government's offer of independence in inverted commas. Yes, the whole concept of those homelands was to make them all independent countries. And many many years ago, you would actually cross the border into Transkei. There's a border post. You had to get your passport yeah. stamped, yes. etc. And the trans the Transkei was the first one, and I think I think the Transkei became independent in 1976. I think it was. I'd have to check up on that one. But Inumtata is probably the best, the nicest statue of, of Nelson Mandela at the Nelson Mandela Academic Hospital. And the Transkei, that area between Kunu and Umtata, is real Nelson Mandela territory. I mean, that was that was his his, his home area. Yeah. And I mean, again, his his CV. He was part of the royal Tembu family, so he was African royalty. He was born in a little town called Mvezu. He studied law at the University of Fort Hare and the University of Varsovia. Practiced as a lawyer in Johannesburg, and he joined the ANC, the African National Congress, in 1943. Okay, and that's pre-national party apartheid. So that's actually quite yes. an interesting one. That the ANC was not was formed before the official apartheid policies were yeah. introduced into South Africa, and the national party started with a strict apartheid in in, in 1948, and that's when Nelson Mandela and the ANC Youth League decided that they needed to work against this and actually over, overthrow this. Yeah. And Mandela became president of the ANC's Transvaal branch in 1952. 
And he started becoming in the resistance during the Defiance Campaign, Congress of the People. And then he was also part of the accused in the treason trial of 1956. But he yes. managed to, he was released then. And then he secretly joined the South African Communist Party. Now, of course, this is all highly illegal under the laws of the day. Oh, yeah. And then in 1961, he was actually one of the co-founders of the underground paramilitary organization, Umkonto Wesizwe, or MK, Spear of the Nation. Yes, that's right, yeah. And then eventually, in 1962, he was sentenced to life, in, life imprisonment for conspiring to overthrow the government of the day during the Rivonia trial of 1964. So that's, that's where it comes from. There were, there were a spate of other charges against him, illegal possession of firearms. Um, you know, as a, yes. as a child, he'd already he'd, he'd stolen, borrowed, I think it was his uncle's gun and was, and was found in possession of, of that weapon oh, okay. without a license. So that yeah. was like strike one. So that went on to his record. Yeah. And during the treason trials and stuff, it came out again that he had a second hit now of more illegal arms. And that was, again, an automatic sentence if, you, if you're convicted of carrying firearms unlicensed. Yeah. That was one of the charges that got him put into prison okay. as well. And then, of course, 27 years on Robben Island. We discussed a bit of Robben Island on, our, on one of our previous podcasts. And then eventually after... The death of Oliver oh, where, bo- where the boats were taken away. Where the boats were taken away, yeah. <laughs> the, the, that, that boat story, I still giggle when I think of that one. Yeah. And then eventually when Oliver Tambo died, uh, Nelson Mandela became president of the ANC. And then 1994, of course, the ANC won the first democratic elections. Yes. And then, of course, he got the Nobel Peace Prize with President de Klerk in 1993. And he passed away in 2013. But... We focus on Nelson Mandela there because the entire building called the Bunga, the Bunga building in Umtata, was the parliamentary building of the Transkei. Yeah. And that has now been converted into a museum for Nelson Mandela. Yes. So a lot of his okay. awards and gifts and, and presents he got and yeah, all sorts of stuff is now displayed in that, in that building. Yeah. In in Tron, in in Umtata. So, other than that, those little towns in the Transkei are really sort of falling apart. The administration is absolutely terrible. Is yeah, you know, it, it's it's actually sad. It's it, it is sad. actually sad. They 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 were really really neat little towns, but the shop fronts and there's now informal traders everywhere. The roads are not looked yeah. after. There's a lot of litter everywhere. However. I still find those kind of places have got a little bit of charm. Yeah. And it's, it's worth actually stopping and taking a walk through those markets just to see the kind of stuff that is for sale there. Yes. And it's, it's just a, it's a whole new world um, <laughs> yeah. to, 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 to experience that. I mean, there's chickens and goats for sale and the, the traditional medicine guys all over the pavements and yeah, all yeah. sorts of goodies, the plastic stuff. And the, like where I, where I discovered why those houses are painted pink and green and yellow and red because of the powdered paint. <laughs> powdered so, paint. Yeah. That's <laughs> really I, – I, I love walking through those markets. I can yeah. – and, and, and the opportunities for, for, for photography and stuff and that is, are, are, just, are just beautiful. Yeah. And then a little bit mm. down to the east, not off the end, not on the N2, but a little bit off down, down to the east in some of the rough country, another memorial too. 
Dick, Dick King. King. <laughs> so, okay, Dick King. Dick King there. Yes, he's, he traveled that guy. <laughs> I think let's quickly take a quick break at uh, Dick King's uh, <laughs> his other um, statue or whatever it might be. <laughs> quickly tell the people about your app again, where to find it. Road Trip. Road Trip SA. It's findable on um, Google Play Store and on iStore. It's an app that highlights all of these spots we're talking about. It's got literally thousands of points of interest across South Africa. Little bits of history, photographs. You can navigate on it. It shows you exactly where they are. And it's a whole 75 bucks on the App Store. And the entire idea is that people start appreciating our history, start learning about some of these spots, yeah. and start making little visits to these little towns. A little bit more interesting than just driving through with what the oil calls, calls RSAP's disease, the sort of as soon as possible <laughs> disease. Stop, have a, take a couple of breaths, look around these little towns, yeah. and you can find some real beautiful little hidden gems. And now I can't get the music to play. I can't connect to the other computer. Ah. Isn't that lovely? Hmm. Well, just don't ask me to sing because that's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Come, you're the, you're the singer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let me see what's going on here. Or do we carry on chatting? He tells me power on. Okay, maybe it went to sleep or something. <laughs> it's not supposed to do that. <laughs> But I like that uh, that one you uh, call Arsop's disease. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as possible. Yeah. Head down that highway, boy. Close your eyes and just focus on the road and don't look at what's around you. Yeah. And the pyramids uh, story of last week. I, I, I will never forget that one. <laughs> that was absolutely classic. That was a good one. No, that, that, the, 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 the bus giggle for a couple of hours on that one. Yeah, yeah. I think let's carry on because I'm not getting Okay, you have you having a technical moment. Yeah. It's not working. It's not me. working. Okay. <laughs> but what once you're out of out of Umtata, the road again is just it's just it's just kilometers of, of scenery and countryside. And it's just a beautiful drive. It is a really, really beautiful drive. And eventually you you cross over over the border of the old trans sky and the first little town you hit now is a place called Kokstad. Oh yes. Now I'm sure some of our listeners who who've been sort of following us remember the story of Adam Cook. Now I explain I go into a lot of a lot of the history of Adam Cook in um, episode ten. If you look for episode ten on our podcast, you'll hear the story of Adam Cook. Very very interesting story. And Cockstadt obviously named after him. Now, Adam Cook has got the tie to the N1 and a little town called Philippolis. I don't know if you remember Philippolis, the yes. little cannons on top of the hill oh, yeah. in Philippolis. <clears throat> and he trekked from Philippolis all the way across the country and eventually settled in Cockstadt. And we start in Cockstadt. There's a little nature reserve outside a town called the Mount Curry Nature Reserve. Mount Curry. Mount okay. Curry. <laughs> and... There's a little statue to, or the monument to Adam Cook outside there, because that is where he first settled with his Greekers. Oh, so yeah. they settled outside of what is now um, Kokstad, and they when they arrived there in 1863. And if you do listen to episode 10, I had, I put Adam Cook in the wrong century. I said I said it was he was I, I was muttering about the 1930s and 1940s. It was actually the 1830s and 1840s. So okay. yeah. <laughs> nobody picked it up, so no one gets the prize from EcoHealth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
But they trekked all the way from Philippolis in the in the Free State across country, and the valley was actually called No Man's Land. I mean, it's a, No Man's. It was Land. called No Man's Land. Okay. Eventually, became known as Greek Greek uh, Land East, and outside of outside there at that reserve where they are, they built a little little earth walled fort and stuff, and that's where they settled settled first. And when the town was ready for occupation, a lot of the people decided they didn't want to move into Kokstad, and they actually stayed behind there for like another nine or ten years in their little earthen earthen fort. Okay. But eventually they did settle in Kokstad, and again, Kokstad, one of those little stories, own currency, own money, own own little republic, etc. Okay. And yeah. we, we were tying that up to remember to the little town of Orania where nothing, nothing, nothing is new. So these guys <laughs> with their own currencies and can yeah. what have you. Yeah. And if you want to explore that, there's a little place called the East Griqualand Museum in town. And it actually explores the history of the sovereign state of Griqualand East and the life of Captain Adam Koch di Darda. Okay. He was called Captain Adam Koch. <laughs> and again, a very, very interesting character. I mean, he, he shouldn't have been the leader, but he was. He was the youngest son, but he managed to outmaneuver his older brothers. He was just a very, very savvy politician and a, and a very, very good leader. He settled, and that little republic that he had ran ran very, very, good, very, very well. So, okay, interesting character. Two years across country, same thing as the Great Trek, just a different, different scenario. Different scenario, yeah. So his old uniforms and stuff were in that in that thing, the old flag of the republic. The Cunny Duet flag. The Cunny Duet flag of the Greekos is there. <laughs> okay. So, you know, it's just one of those, those just one of those just interesting little spots. Yeah. A little sideline to history. There's a, there's a, there's, an, there's another monument in town, the Cape Mounted Rifles monument. Okay. Um, Cape Mounted Rifles again, one of these volunteers and the, the Mounted Rifles that served in the Anglo-Boer War. And one thing that always strikes me when you go through these towns, Eastern Cape, and you're heading down sort of towards East, East London, you come out of the, the Transvaal or Free State or Old Transvaal, Old Free State. Yeah. All the monuments, the Anglo Boer War for the Boers. As soon <laughs> yeah. as you get over the, over the border, you go into this little town, suddenly all the monuments are to the British. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you've got the Free State and the Old, old Free State and Old Transvaal fighting against the Natal and the Cape, etc. Yeah, and yeah. just the focus is different. It's just it's one of those things that strikes you. So in, in Kokstad is one of the old sort of colonial ones. Yes. And a lot of colonial regiments served on the side of the British. Why? Because you were in Natal. And Natal at that stage was part of the British Empire. So you, you fought on the side of the British yeah. Empire against the Buddha and the Buddha republics. That were your were your enemies. Yes. So this particular statue in, in, in Kokstad is actually a very beautiful statue. It's got the four lions, four lions on the pedestal and a, a big, big column with a statue of a uniformed soldier on the top. And, you know, and you look at these colonial regiments, they served all over the place. The Basutuland gun war, the Bichwanaland campaign. There's, you know, gazillion little campaigns yeah. and fights yeah. that these guys actually took part in. An interesting little part there is an old historical bandstand, which is a national monument. Okay. You know, you, if you picture the old British colonial little band on a Sunday afternoon in the bandstand in the park and the ladies in their yes. long dresses and bonnets and cuppies and things and the guys in, in, <laughs> in top hats in the park, yeah. that is what happened in Kokstad. Okay. <laughs> and the old bandstand had been proclaimed, actually been proclaimed as, as, a, as a national monument. Okay. The old town hall is there. Also a beautiful, beautiful... <laughs> Um, piece of architecture and 
in town next to the town hall is actually Adam Cox's grave. Okay. So, and he's with his wife, with his wife Margaret. Yeah. And again, just a quick CV. 1811, 16th of October, 1811. He's born in Griqualand West, educated in Philippolis. And then disputes over land ownership. Remember the whole Gharip and the diamonds and the yeah, border yeah. disputes and stuff, those stories that we spoke about. Becomes a major issue for this guy. He takes the British officer to settle in no man's land in the Eastern Cape. Okay. So two years, they trek across the country. They have some major fights with the Basutu, the Basutu Nation, also a brand new yeah. formation of people, refugees out of Shaka's time in Basutu land, uh, now become Lesotho. And they lost a hell of a lot of their, their cattle and horses and stuff to raise by the Basutus. Yeah. Eventually, 1863, they reach Mount Kerry, lay out the town of Kokstad. 1867, the state of Griqualand East is printing its own currency, its little own, own, own republic. And then eventually, 1874, so for almost 20-odd years, these guys live in independent existence, and then suddenly Britain decides, no, this, isn't, this is not cool. And uh, they decide to annex the colony and, and reform it as part of the colony. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, luck, luckily, luckily, Adam Cock died in 1875, which is two years before the British actually destroyed his little dream oh, yeah. of, his, of his own country and his little republic, because it was annexed in 1877. Yeah. There's another war memorial in 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 the middle of Kokstad, and again we don't have to go through all those countries that we fought in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's there's another there's another interesting grave, and some and we've concentrated on the app. We've actually got a a, a little subcategory of Victoria crosses. Oh yeah, and in Kokstad is another guy who won a Victoria Cross. And it's the Surgeon Major John McRae. Okay. And, again, one of these Victorian characters. 1854, he's born. 1894, um, he passes away. And he's, he's born in Guernsey. He studied medicine at Guy's Hospital. And 1878, he becomes a member of the Royal College of Surgeons in England. And he gets deployed to South Africa in 1879. Now, 1879 was also the year of the Anglo-Zulu War. Oh, yes. So, at that time, a lot of military activity and stuff in South Africa. So, here he comes out, qualified, and 1879, he then comes out and he's deployed in Cape Town. So, he becomes a civilian surgeon to Her Majesty's forces. He goes to Fort Beaufort, Eastern Cape, a year later. He wants a bit of excitement, so he joins the 1st Regiment of the Cape Mounted Yeomanry as a surgeon. He serves in the Anglo-Transvaal War, 1880-1881, where the British got murdered at Majuba. Oh, yeah. So that was, you know, so <laughs> yeah. first Anglo-Boer War. And he gets his Victoria Cross for actions in 1881 at Tuerfontein in, land, in Lesotho. While wounded, he shot through the chest. So oh. he's bleeding. He dresses his own wounds. And he then continues to treat the other British wounded soldiers. Yeah. He's the only doctor. Chest wound, bleeding through the chest bone. Oh, my he still manages to pick up wounded and picks them up off the battlefield, carries them into shelter. Yeah. And he treats them, managing to save their lives. Jeez. So, okay. again, you look at these Victorian characters, almost slightly larger than life, the stories that these guys yeah. have got. 
And then eventually he gets promoted to rank of Surgeon Major, transferred to the Cape Mounted Rifleman, and he stays stays in South Africa, marries a Dutch-speaking South African, Bessie Watermeyer, and eventually he dies at his home in Kokstad in 1894. Okay. So, I mean, you think of his life yeah. as well, from England to the Cape, several yeah. wars all over the eastern frontier, wins himself a Victoria Cross. And for those of you, his VC is actually on display at um, the Imperial War Museum in London. The Imperial War Museum has got the biggest collection of Victoria Crosses, and it's, it's called the Lord Ashcroft VC Gallery. Okay. And they, they try to have stories of every single winner of the, of the Victoria Cross in that gallery. I've been yeah, in there. That's awesome. And it's, it's, an awesome, it's an awesome display. They obviously don't have every VC, but a lot of, a lot of time you know, when a VC comes up for auction or it's on the market or something, there's a massive fund yeah. that goes and purchases these. A lot of people bequeath their VCs to, to the Lord Ashcroft collection yes. in the Imperial War Museum. So. Again, I just love these. I just love these stories that come out of these these, these larger than life characters. Yeah, and you just think. I mean, the guy's got a the chest wound. He dresses himself and he carries on. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's. And then then the road through from Kokstad, beautiful road through a lot of the old mountain mountains, beautiful forests, and eventually, you come back to the ocean, and the N two now manages to reach the sea again at a little place called Port Shepston. Oh, yes. Port Shepston has got a Dick King Memorial. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this guy. <laughs> no, like I said, you know, if, you, if you take the app and you, you go on to show a whole country or whole country map, country map, and you go into the search function, you type in Dick King. You actually follow this little line of dots right from Durban down the coast, over the wild coast, right down into yeah. Grahamstown. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's, it's, it's an epic, epic story. Yeah. But what is interesting in Port Shepston, they've got a nice little, what they call the Maritime Museum. And they've got a display on the shark nets and the study of sharks. Now, there's two oh, places yes. in South Africa that do this. This other one is in Umschlanga at the Sharks Board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And everyone I know probably has some knowledge of the fact that these shark nets exist. Yeah. And the whole concept of this was that there were a spate of shark attacks at some point along the the Durban the, let's call it the extended Durban beachfront yeah, area, yes, sort of, sort, yes. of sort, sort of from a Mamzen Toti up Durban right up through to Umschlaga. And obviously, it was harming tourism. You just have to watch the movie Jaws to understand what this kind yeah. of stuff does to tourism. No one, no yeah. one, no one likes the idea of being eaten by something. <laughs> no, not you know, at whether all. it's lions or sharks or whatever it is, <laughs> the idea of being eaten just doesn't sort of fall into most people's uh, frame yeah. of reference. So there were a couple of shark attacks, and it was a big publicity thing about how to ensure the safety of bathers. And eventually they come up with this idea of the shark net. So they, they put these shark nets down. Now, it's a controversial story with the shark nets, whether or not it actually does something yeah. along the coastline. And I remember a lot of it is public perception that you're swimming behind shark nets, therefore you are safe. Yes. And if you're in Durban or along the coast of Amazon, Toti, Umschlanga, every morning, if you've got a view out over the ocean, you'll see little ski boats going out, and they go 100 or 150 meters beyond the breakers. Yeah. And they, they are going to inspect the shark nets. 
Yes. So they then go and haul up the shark net and check what's in there and make sure it's still in one piece. And the shark nets is not one continuous net. It's a staggered series of nets. Okay. So you get one net yeah. and then a couple of meters behind it is another net with a gap in between. So you've got this, this staggered effect yeah. of these nets. Okay. It, it hangs below the surface and it does not reach the floor of the, of, of the, of the ocean where they are. And most of the sharks that are caught are actually caught swimming back out to the ocean. Ah, so okay. they don't stop the sharks going in. And there's an awful lot of bycatch in those nets as well. So there's, there's quite a lot of debate as to whether, whether or not these shark nets are harming the actual ecosystem. Yeah. And a lot of turtles are caught in them. Dolphins are caught in them. A lot of fish and stuff are caught in them as well. So is it a yes or no about the shark nets? I don't know. I'm, I'm not super pro shark nets. But yeah. it does obviously help with the economy and keeps people feeling safe, etc. Yeah, and yeah. You know, I think it's probably still a rather large topic and uh, subject yeah. in in discovery. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is that is Port Shepston. Now, now when you start going up the coast, now you're following the coastline, and your next next major town that you're going to hit is actually Durban but I mean we've we've covered we've covered Durban as it were yeah we have and we can now sort of put together or put to an end the story of Dick King because Dick King like I said was at the battle of Congella in Durban and was sent out by the British yeah to go and look for reinforcements <laughs> to go and get help all the way out of Grahamstown which he did but Again, the, his, his sort of CV, I mean, in Isipinga, there's obviously a Dicking Memorial, but it's also um, where he was laid to rest. And, I mean, his, his, his full name is Richard Philip King. Okay. And so. born 1811 and died 1871. Born in Gloucestershire in England, in Dursley, Gloucestershire, England. And hmm. he was also one of our 1820 settlers. Okay, yeah. So where does his name come from then? Mm-hmm. Dick King. Yeah, that was his family name. Okay. Now, so as an eighteen twenty settler, he comes out. So the eighteen twenty settlers have got this massive impact. I mean, we've done what three, four stories of very, very prominent people who turned out to be part of this immigration wave in eighteen twenty. Yeah. So he goes out to the Albany district in the Eastern Cape as um, part of the eighteen twenty settlers. If that didn't last long. And his family resettled in Port Natal in 1828. Dick King was then about 15 years old. So his first job then is to go work for the missionary, a guy by the name of Francis Owen. Now, Francis Owen is one of the characters that pops up in the whole Fur Tracker story, in the story of um, Pitre Tief, Oh, yes, yes. Etc. So Francis Owen is his missionary, and Dick King goes and works with Francis Owen and to go and open a mission station at the Zulu capital of Gunguntlovu. And he now gets to know a couple of the foot trekkers. The foot trekkers are starting now to move into, into Natal. He gets to know guys like Jan Bankis. He acts as the scribe to Pete Ace. We've oh, spoken yes, about yeah. Pete Ace before as well as part of the foot trekker stories yeah. with the old Gunguntlovu massacre and the... Zulu armies leading up to the Battle of Blood River. Yes, yeah. 
he became a bit quite a well-known elephant hunter. He assisted the Van Rensburg Fortricker camp against the Zulu attack. Again, okay. we've spoken about those those attacks after after the murder of Peter Tief. Yeah. And at Blokrans, he lost his son to the Zulus at Blokrans, where the Fortricker community was massacred. Yes. So Dick King's now involved in this whole Fort Tracker story there as well. And then he goes and he's involved with the British settlement. The Zulus attacked Durban at one stage as well, the biggest expedition. And the British settlement at Durban was sacked by the Zulus. Okay. And again, that story, we can, we can go into that one. But he's one of the few settlers that actually returned to Port Natal after staying for nine days on the British boat that was anchored in the harbour. The Zulus attacked Durban, sacked the place, and the only survivors were guys who managed to make it out to a boat that was, that was anchored yeah. in the harbour because obviously the Zulus couldn't get to it. Yeah. Oh, that sounds familiar. Didn't that happen just a while ago? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I just had to. <laughs> I just had to. <laughs> you know, then, then the Republic of Natalia gets gets established. The British settlement becomes a target for the foot trekkers. And then eventually the foot trekker forces under General Pretorius pin down the British settlers in Port Natal. We then hit the Battle of Congella. And then off goes Richard, Phil, Richard Philip King. Rides 960 kilometers to Grahamstown in 10 days. Yeah. And he followed that little route of all of those little memorials that we've spoken about all the way down to Grahamstown. Yes. And again, you know, I, I, I read this guy's CV, and I mean, that's one yeah, hell of a, of a life story. And eventually he dies in 1871 um, in Isipingo at the age of 59. Okay. Cool. So <laughs> that, I think, is end of part four. I think, yeah, I think it's part four of our, of our N2 story. Yes. And we've now managed to hit Durban. So, yeah, I think we started over with, with Durban. We made well, we, we, we've had an, we've had an, an episode on Durban. Yeah, yeah. We've had episode. We've had an episode about that little detour through to Philippolis with the tie-up and Adam Cock. <laughs> and the N two does now carry on up the coastline through all the way to Saint Lucia or through Richards Bay. It bypasses those those um, Natal battlefields which is a good couple of stories. One or two of the, the spots right next to the N2 um, relating to the Anglo-Zulu War as well. We go past St. Lucia, the home of Huberta, and then the N2 skirts yes. around the southern end of Eswatini and winds up in Ermelo. So maybe we wrap up the N2 on our next episode. And yeah. uh, I actually quite enjoyed the N2. Maybe we can do it for all the national roads. We haven't quite done the whole N1 yet. Yeah. So uh, maybe we do the N1, N2, N3, N4. There's a whole lot of them that we can chat about with all these different spots. And it's a nice one because it encapsulates all sorts of different parts of the history. We're not focusing yes, just on, yeah. on, on a certain period. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And I see we're basically out of time. <clears throat> yeah, a couple of minutes to spare, no, but you got... couldn't find your music, so <clears throat> it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I've got it open now. Oh, there we go. <clears throat> Yeah, now it wants to work. I don't know, it lost signal or something. <clears throat> don't know how or why. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, and then we'll take it further next week. And uh, yeah, that was the Road Trip Show here with Diedrich and the Road Trip app. 
and you are listening to Radio Eco Health, go take a look at our Facebook page, Radio Eco Health Live, and go see what we're up to. Awesome, guys. Go down, go download the app. Have some fun on it. It is a really, really cool little mobile app telling you all about South Africa. And it's only 60 bucks 70, now. 75 rand Cent- or something. We, 75. We have, we have to price it in dollars, and then, of course, the price jumps up and down. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. I see. Yes. Okay. All righty. So, yeah, that's not uh, – that is cheap. But in any case, I'm going to play you some music, and uh, we'll see you soon. <laughs> 